0: Question that you love me. Oh, that's a proven fact You took my thorns on your head You took my strife
1: You know, praise God. I thought Dean was going to come up there and just take over. I was getting ready to come up there and actually get him off the stage, too. <laughs> Say, Lord, no, not, not this week, Dean. But whatever the Lord wills. It was beautiful, the song that Jenny sang, and I was, I was really encouraged because the song that we sang, what a day it will be. And that's something that is so great to meditate on is that there is coming a day when we will see our Jesus face to face. And what a day that will be. And those in here who know him, you have to be feeling joy in our hearts. But anybody who doesn't know him, today you have an opportunity to make a decision that you'll be able to say what a day that will be. That you'll get to see your Jesus as well. And Jenny's song... Wow, I wish I had shorthand down because I would have wrote the whole song, but one of the parts of the song says, if I were you, I would have given up on me. If I were you, Lord, given the depravity of me and who I am and how I've lived and how I've denied you, I would have said, no thanks. You don't deserve it. I don't deserve kingdom, but thank God we're not him. Thank God that he has unrelenting love to pursue us so much, to come after us so much until he catches us, until he draws us to him. What kind of love is that? Can we even compare it? None of us have a glimpse of that. And praise God for that. I was thinking, about all the problems that we are dealing with today and if you pay attention to the news, you can't really not be kind of discouraged and overwhelmed by the news today. I mean, I read and heard consistently over the last couple days about two American soldiers that have been captured in Afghanistan. And sometimes we can let that just fly over, but imagine being the parent, the brother, the sister, the friend of one of those men, and they're in enemy hands, and what they can do to these men, how they would be treated, how would you feel in your heart when you think about that? It's devastating. And these are men that are protecting our country, fighting for us that we would have freedom and you know just that's just one thing and then you talk about bomb kills five American troops in Afghanistan they had parents they have brothers and sisters wives some of them killed gone and then I was just kinda going through says flooding hits Chicago North Korea threatens nuclear response Iran nuclear fusion program launched, 38 bodies found in Mexico mass graves police pipe bombs found in California Park. DC school system fires 241 teachers. And then they like to throw in, you know, things like a bear was caught driving a car or something. (laughs) They throw that in there, I guess, to kind of, it says bear goes on brief joyride and trash his car. Okay, well that's part of the news too. And of course, we know about the earthquakes and all of the just, just horrendous things that are happening around us. And when you look at this world and you just look at it, how can you not in your heart kind of despair, get discouraged, kind of look around and say, well, what's all this? What's it all about? I can't handle this. What's happening? It creates discouragement. It creates discouragement. It actually can create doubt in even Christians' minds and hearts. Doubts. And we're going to talk about doubts. We're going to talk about broken hearts. We're going to talk about unfulfilled dreams and perceived unfulfilled promises. And I meant that when I said perceived unfulfilled promises. Because our God makes promises and he always keeps them. Disasters. And they sometimes just cause in us discouragement and doubt. And the Bible has a lot to say about that. The Bible is a wonderful reservoir of just the things to inspire and encourage and direct our lives, and it's wonderful. If we know Him as Lord and Savior, He gives us the directions on how to live. First, He draws us to Him. First, He saves our soul. First, He gives us a new life, and then He says, okay, now this is how you live the life. So the ones that are in here that have made that decision, that he's directed our lives to him, now he's saying, I want to direct it now so that you can live for me. And those in here that maybe you don't know him, that he's been knocking on your door, and you've been looking around and you've been saying, what is all this insanity about? I'm discouraged by it. I have doubts and I have fears. He says to you, there's a fountain. There's a God, there's a plan, there's peace, there's joy if you make a decision for me today. So when you think about discouragement, I went into the Bible just kind of looking for just something that was discouraging and just to kind of give us something to kind of chew on. And if we can go to Luke, actually, we're going to go to Mark first, Mark chapter 16. And we're going to talk about one of the most discouraging times for believers, because Jesus, the man Jesus, The prophet Jesus, the Messiah Jesus has been on earth and been doing some beautiful, wonderful things and showing the love of Christ to many, many people and drawing people to him, creating his apostles and giving them the plans on how he wants them to go out into the world and share the gospel. He now dies. He's dead. He's in a grave, and it's been basically three days. Can you imagine the discouragement with the people there? And if we go to Mark chapter 16, just go to verse 9. It says, Now, after he had risen early on the first day of the week, he first appeared to Mary Magdalene from whom he had cast out seven demons." And our first point we're gonna talk about today, when the truth of scriptures seems like nonsense. Jesus meets one of the women, and she had actually come down with other women. It's probably good to go back a couple verses to verse 4. And it says, And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, and although it was extremely large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting at the right, wearing a white robe, and they were amazed. And he said to them, Do not be amazed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazarene, who has been crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Behold, here is the place where they laid him. And it says that he showed himself to Mary. Verse 10 says, and she went and reported these things to the apostles. And what were they doing? It says that they were mourning and weeping. They were hurting. They were in pain because their savior was gone. They were discouraged. And it says, when they heard the news that he was alive, they refused to believe it. That's what discouragement can do. That's what discouragement and doubt can do. The truth can actually be dismissed. They refused to believe it. And after that, he appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking along the way to to the country. And they went away and reported to the others, but they did not believe them either. Now let's go to Luke chapter 24. And this is another version of the same passage, just another version. Luke chapter 24, verse 10. It probably is up there because of our brothers back there. Now they were Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, also the other women with them, were telling these things to the apostles. Now you had all these women coming in and telling the things and sharing their experience to the apostles. And it says, but these words appeared to them as nonsense, and they would not believe them. Nonsense. Nonsense. Hope seemed gone. Their aspiration seemed lost. Their fondly cherished expectations were blasted. They were in trouble. I read a writer who wrote this he says, It would demand a calm, clear, and vigorous faith to raise the heart above the heavy clouds which gathered just then upon the horizon of God's people. And it does not appear that many possess such faith at that trying moment. These are trying moments, and faith is needed. Not doubt. Not questioning. It says it appeared as nonsense to them. Now, let's go to and look a little further. Let's go to Luke 24, and then just look at verse 17. The road to Emmaus. And it's, first of all, about two men that were walking along and they were talking to each other about things that were happening. And I want you to think about it. Verse 13 says that, And behold, two of them were going that very day to the village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were conversing with each other about all the things which had taken place. And think about the conversations that we have about all the things that are taking place. And when I read that, I was really just encouraged to really think and meditate as they were conversing, they were discussing things. They were on a road going to Emmaus, and there was two men discussing things. Discussing the things because the women had given them encouragement by saying, this Jesus... We think he's alive. He's alive. And they still were walking along, and it says they were dejected. They were sad. They didn't know what to do. They couldn't handle it. They were discouraged. Why? Because they didn't believe what God had told them prior to that. He told them, I'm going to the cross, and I'm going to die. And in three days, I'm going to be raised again. And you know they knew that because if you go to verse 21 after Jesus had actually started talking with them and they were talking back and they said to Jesus but we were hoping that it was he that this person was the Messiah we were hoping it was he and he was going to redeem Israel indeed besides all this it's the third day since these things happened. They knew the third day there was a promise from God that he would come back. He would, be, he would rise from the dead. They knew because Jesus had told them, on the third day, I'm going to be risen from the dead. I'm going to come back to you. Don't worry. This is what's going to happen. But they still were dejected. And wondering. And look at what Jesus says to them in verse 17. Let's go back now to 17. And it says, and he said to them, what are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you are walking? What are we talking about? What are we thinking about? What are we discussing here in this church? What are you discussing? When you go to church, when you go to school, when you go to the job, what's going on up here? That's what Jesus says, what's going on in you? What are you talking about? You're walking along dejected. I can see that you're dejected. What are you discussing? What's happening in your life? What are you, you look at the picture, what do you see? What's your perception of what's going on here? He didn't allow them to see him at that point. He's just walking along, having a conversation with them. And he does that with us today. He walks along with us, having a conversation with us, wanting to open us up, wanting us to see, what are you thinking about? What are you talking about? What what is your response to the difficulty, to the pain, to the suffering, to the agony of this earth? What is your explanation? And that's what he was saying to them. He was saying, what are you talking about? What's going on in your heart? How are you feeling? about what you're seeing. What do you think? What's going on with you? And praise God we have that kind of God that says, what's happening with you? Comes up alongside of us and says, what's going on? And then one of them answered and said, are you the only one that doesn't know what's happening? And they start telling him, and he says, "What things?" And they go through an explanation about the chief priest coming and killing Jesus, and then him dying, and then him supposedly resurrected on the third day, but they basically says, "But we don't see him. It's the third day, and he hasn't come. Can't we look at it that way? Can't we actually, in our mind, look around and he says to you and me, he says, "What's going on with you? What are you thinking about?" what's your explanation of what's going on in the world today and we can actually say that it's been three days it's been a year it's 2010 and he hasn't returned I thought he was returning in 2009 but he's not here I thought this was going to happen but it's not happening I thought he was gonna keep my marriage together but he didn't I thought I was gonna have a bride but I don't I thought I was gonna have this I thought I was gonna have that and I thought I was gonna have this and that and this and that and I don't and I'm discouraged I'm hurting that's where they were they had a perceived Thought about what was actually going to happen. That he was going to show up a certain way at a certain time and do a certain thing. And he didn't. And they were downtrodden. But look at the Savior. And that's our second point. When all seems lost, Jesus comes to the rescue. Look at him. Look at Mary and, and the ladies. They're roaming around, not knowing what to do, dejected. And it says, Jesus came along. Jesus came along. And if we go to John 20, we're going through a lot of verses, but we're in the scriptures, in the gospels. Go to John 20, and I think Ed's going to have it up there. Somebody's going to have it up there. Verse 11. Now think about it. Again, we're talking about his followers, his friends, people close to him, wondering what's happening. It doesn't make sense what's going on. We don't understand. And it says that Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping. Well, why would she be weeping if she believed that on the third day he was going to be raised from the dead and he was going to come back and he was going to have fellowship with her again. Honestly, why were the two men from Emmaus walking down, head downtrodden? Why? Why were the apostles sitting around saying, we don't believe him. It's nonsense you saw him. Look at the groups that he went to, the women weeping, the two men of Emmaus walking and talking dejected. He went to the women. It says he came to them. And they saw the two angels in verse 12, and it says, they said to her, Why are you weeping, ladies? Why are you weeping, Christians? Why are you doubting, Christians? Why are you confused, Christians? Why are you wondering, Christians? Why are you thinking about things that God said you don't need to think about? Why are you worried about things that God says aren't to be concerned with you? There is coming a day when what? We'll see him face to face. Now, if I have that song riveted to my mind, do I have doubts and fears? Am I concerned? Am I walking this life dejected? How can I be? They said, why are you weeping? What is on your mind to cause you to be concerned and crying? And he says to us, What is on your mind today that you're confused and wondering and hurting and downtrodden and dejected? What is on your mind? What are you thinking about? Why are you weeping, woman? Because they've taken my Lord away and I don't know where they've laid him. But Jesus already told her and the others that they are going to take me away. They're going to beat me. They're going to kill me. But it's for you. I'm dying. I'm paying the price for you. And on the third day, I'm going to be resurrected. She heard that. Didn't she? If you need to go back, I have scripture references. You can go back. He told them what would happen. And he told us, didn't he? Doesn't he tell us what will happen? Doesn't he tell us that men will be lovers of men, there'll be earthquakes, there'll be all these kind of catastrophes, they will happen. He says, these things will happen, but don't worry. Do not worry, do not be concerned. He says, I've overcome the world and don't worry about it, everything will be fine. Verse 14 says, when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she could not recognize. She didn't know it was Jesus. How many times is he standing there and we don't even see him? How many times is his presence with us and he's trying to encourage us to go in a different direction, think a different thought, feel a different feeling, and we don't recognize him? She did not recognize him. She did not know it was Jesus. And then Jesus says, woman, why are you weeping? who are you seeking supposing him to be a gardener can you imagine that a gardener a dirt tiller she said to him sir if you've carried him away tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away Jesus said to her Mary that's all he had to say Mary And she turned around and said, Rabboni, it's you. I recognize you. She was. She heard his voice. But what was different? Because it's he was talking to her before. She heard his words. Why when she he said Mary. I believe he said it in a way that blew her mind. Mary, it's okay. Don't worry. It's all under control. I'm back. And he wiped the tears. It's okay. Verse 19 now, 20. John 20. He appeared to Mary. Had an interaction with Mary. Said the right word to Mary. And Mary recognized him and came out of her sadness. And her sadness would turn to joy. Now he comes to the apostles. Why? Why? Because he cares for all of his children. He cares for all of us. He came to them. He didn't say, Mary, you go tell him. No, she did go tell them, but they still didn't believe. So verse 19 says, it was evening, the first day of the week, and the doors were shut and the disciples were in there, of course, for fear of the Jews. They were in there trembling. They were trembling because they saw what they did to Jesus and they knew Jesus had power. They saw he was God. Look at what he did to the the blind, the blind, the lame, the dead man. Look at what he did. We are no force against these Jews. Look at what they did to our master, and he's dead now, and he's in a grave, and now he can't protect us. The doors are shut. They're sitting in there probably holding on to each other, trembling. Wondering, when are we next? And look at what he did. Think about the ones on the road to Emmaus, his interaction with them. Think about Mary. Now think about Jesus and the disciples. It says he just went in and he said one thing. He showed them, His hands and his side. He says, look. He spoke to Mary, and she got it. But to these disciples, he didn't give them a word. He said, look. These hands. Look at the nail prints. Why was that significant? Why is that significant for us? When I see that verse, I see God telling you and me, look at how much I love you. They knew it was him at that moment. And their fear was turned to joy. And he said, peace be with you. Be at peace, because I don't want you in tribulation. I don't want you sad and dejected. I don't want you hurting. Now, if we go back to Luke chapter 24, because I think it's good to mention it again. 24, verse 15, it says, while they were talking and discussing, we're talking about the road to Emmaus. We're talking about the two men again. Jesus himself approached them and began traveling with them and their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And then verse 17 they says, "What are these words you're speaking and changing to one another?" And they stood still looking sad. And what did he do? He talked to them, he talked to them and talked to them. And then what did he end up doing? He broke bread. And their eyes were open and they recognized him. I read a couple of writers that said that he was probably walking along the road with him, And you can imagine it was seven miles to Emmaus from Jerusalem. Seven miles they walk with him. And if you walk like Adel walks, that probably means that you can make it in an, an hour, a big hour and a half, maybe an hour and 45 minutes, Adel. But I bet it was like a two-hour journey that they were walking along with him. And then he went to their home, and he made them basically. In, Encouraged them to invite him in. And then when they walked in, he actually opened their eyes by breaking bread. And you can read the verses. But why was that significant? With Mary, it was just a word. Mary, Mary, it's me. With the apostles, he just showed them his hands and his side. But with these two men, it says he talked with them. He opened up the scriptures to them, and then he broke bread, and it says their eyes were opened. A writer said their eyes were opened because probably when he broke the bread, they saw his hands, and they saw the nail prints, and they were eyes were opened. He wants to open our eyes today. He wants us to see today. See what? See the truth. The gospel is not a lie. The scriptures are not a lie. Discouragement can have us cause cause us to look at the scriptures and think something's wrong, something's missing. There's nothing missing. God's plan is God's plan. And it will be implemented. But the beautiful thing about this that I really was blessed by is that all three of these groups of people, Jesus came to them. And he comes to me and you. He comes to us, seeking to help us to see the truth, seeking to encourage us to not look over here, but to look over here. He wants our eyes to open. To what? To see the truth. The truth for them is, I am alive. I'm not dead. That was the truth for them to see. He's risen. I'm alive. What's the truth for us? He's alive. He's with us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. But don't doubts kind of make it difficult to see We look at the scriptures sometimes and the promises, and there's fog there. And I was reading Macintosh, and he said something, he says, And does it sometimes happen that you and I, alike manner, get down under the power of things seen and temporal, instead of living by faith in the light of things unseen and eternal? Doesn't it sometimes happen where we actually look down at our circumstances and we actually lose faith. We get discouraged, just like they were discouraged. And Jesus comes along. He does, he always comes along. He's always interested in helping us to see. He's always interested in encouraging us. He's always interested in directing our hearts to where they should be. He's always interested. Why? Because when you look at those hands, And you look at that side. That's love. I paid the price for you, and I love you. And I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And I'm with you until the end of time. And I have a plan for you. And I was reading. Because the last point has to do with stop doubting and believe. And isn't it great? Because I was actually going to do this message on our buddy, Thomas. I was reading about Thomas and studying Thomas, and that verse is just so beautiful, and we're going to go to John again, chapter 20. Because Jesus came to the apostles, and he showed them his hands and his feet. He showed it to Him. He showed them. I'm here. I'm alive. And it says Thomas wasn't there, and Thomas didn't believe. And I was going to do the message because it was beautiful, where it says, he said, stop doubting and believe, because that's what he wants us to do. But that's the third point. Stop doubting and believe. That's what he's saying to each one of us. Stop doubting, believe. And he told that to Thomas, because Thomas didn't believe, did he? Do you believe? Are you doubting today? Confused today? Hurting today? Discouraged today? Do you know him today? Do you really know him? Do you really know him? Because if you don't know him, I can guarantee that the discouragement will never go away because the discouragement only can be healed through Christ a relationship with Christ but the beautiful thing it is is that he came to Mary a certain way he came to the two on the road to Emmaus a certain way he came to the apostles a certain way and he knew Thomas wasn't there and it says that After eight days, the disciples were inside because Thomas hadn't believed. Because Thomas said, and it's good to read that, verse 25, because the other disciples, it says, therefore were saying to him, we have seen the Lord, but he said to them, unless I see his hands and the imprint of his nails and my finger into his, put my finger into his, in the place of the nails and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. Wow. Thomas says, I'm not going to believe because you believe. And sometimes we can put down Thomas, call him Doubting Thomas. Well, what I was reading is all of them were doubting. Thomas was just a little bit more vocal. He was a little bit more honest, maybe, you can say. He was honest. I don't believe. Unless I see it, I don't buy it. I don't want to hear what you have to say. I want to see it myself. I want to experience it myself. Think about that. Think about how kind of cold that can be. If it was you and me and we actually showed somebody something, and we said, tell this other person, and you show it to them, it's real clear, and the other person says, no, I'm not going to believe it unless you show it to me, what would we do? I'm not showing it to them. They should have believed it because you showed it to them. I gave you, I showed it to you. Well, Jesus showed them his hands. He showed the nail prints. And Thomas said, I will not believe unless I see it myself and put my hand in it. But look at the graciousness of God. After eight days, it says the disciples were there and Thomas was now with them. And then verse 27, it says he said to Thomas, First thing, reach your fingers, your finger and see my hands, and reach here, your hand, and put it into my side, and be not unbelieving, but believing. I think that's love and mercy. That in spite of how ridiculous maybe we can say that was a request it was, he still made the request, and God answered the request. God came to him. So what does that tell us? What's important for us to get out of that? We should just keep calling on the name of the Lord. No matter where we are, no matter what we need, our God is faithful and be honest with him. If you got an issue, confess it to him. Be honest. Tell him I don't believe this. I don't understand this. I can't deal with this situation. I don't understand why I don't have a bride or I don't have a mate. I don't understand why the marriage just kind of dissolves. I don't understand, Lord. I don't believe right now. I'm hurting right now, and I can't handle it. Tell him, because his grace and his mercy is so wonderful that he'll come alongside, just like he did to, to Thomas, and he'll come and say, look, put your hand here. Touch me. Come. I want you to see something. I want you to see how much I love you and what I'm willing to do for you. That's our God. What a God we have that touched all those people, was interested in all those people. Why? Because they were dejected. They were hurting. They were in pain. They were suffering. And he came along. And he came to each one of them. And we love the verse that is in Jeremiah, which is a wonderful verse. In Jeremiah 29 11, starting at 11, it says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for what? Every one of you who knows him as Lord and Savior, he says, This is the plan I have for you, for your welfare, not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. But he says, this is what I ask of you. Call upon me and I will listen to you. Call me because I want to walk with you. I want to talk with you. I want to be an encouragement to you. I want to bless you. I want to point you in the right direction. I want to give you peace. And that's why I told the apostles a couple of times, my peace be with you. Because he wants to give us peace. Think about it, as we walk through this world, and I'm talking to believers as we walk through this world look at the requirement that God has on us look at who he wants us to be as we go through that whole lot of verses a a lot of verses but they tell a story about our Lord's interest in us interest in making sure that we get it that we get our eyes right that we have our focus off it's like those who have glasses take your glasses off and look out in the world and how distorted that is that's where it is when we get discouraged and we don't cling to the savior anymore that's what happens when we get lost in our pain and our grief and he says to us i'm walking alongside of you talking with you because i want you to see I want you to excuse me. <clears throat> I want you to get the message. Because I have a job for you. The world needs to see Christians that have faith. He told the apostles, I'm going to have you turn the world upside down. The only way we can turn the world upside down is by living lives truly that are faithful. And we get thrown off, don't we? Discouragement can make us actually doubt and get confused and lose the focus. But our God just comes along and says, get back the focus. But he does it gently and he does it with love because I didn't hear him beat any of these apostles or the women. I didn't hear him say anything mean or nasty or degrading. He lovingly guided them back to the truth. This is the life I want you to live. The world is in need of Christians who are really, really sold out for Christ. And what kind of life do you show the world when you don't have a life that's truly joyful, you don't have the peace, you don't have the power of Christianity because you don't trust me. That's the life God wants us to live. And He comes alongside of us to help us to get back on track. And for those who don't know him, He continues to pursue, just like Jenny mentioned in the song, He just continues to pursue because He loves you so much. He wants you to get it and understand that when you look out in this world, there's no way you're going to make any sense out of it. There's no hope without Him. And He always calls your name because He's persistent at wanting to draw you in so that you can say to Him, Lord Jesus, I want you as my Lord and Savior. And today, if he stirred something in your heart where you want to do that, then I pray that today you do that. And Christians, I hope we're stirred just a little bit. I'm not a perfect speaker, but I love my Jesus. And I know that he comes alongside, and he's... Con- He's concerned about us. He wants us to walk upright. He wants us to walk faithful. He wants us to walk passionately. He wants the world to see a distinction between us and the world. Please make that distinction clear to the world that you are a follower of Christ. And if Satan has kind of caused things to happen to make you dejected, call upon him. He'll listen. Restore that relationship so God can use each one of us. Let's pray. And those who, like I said, I don't know if there's anybody in here today that wants to make a decision to give their lives to Christ. If you do, if you put your hand up, I'll pray for you. Just put it up quickly and put it back down, and I'll pray for you. If you have that desire and God has touched you and talked to you, Just put your hand up. I see your hand. Anybody else? Just put your hand up and put it down quickly. I see your hand. Thank you. Anybody else? I mean, it's just a call from our Lord. He says in this tribulation, in this world of difficulty, I really want to give you peace. I want to give you hope. I want to give you joy. I want to give you a life that truly is wonderful. If you want to make that decision for him, just put your hand up and down. And I'll pray for you. Anybody? And then, Lord Jesus, I do pray for these two ladies that put their hand up. There's only one life that truly can transform a a person There's only one relationship. There's only one hope. And that's through you, Lord Jesus. When you showed your hands to the apostles and and the people, Lord Jesus, you were showing them your love. What a love you have for us. That love took you to the cross where you said, I'm going to die for their sins. I'm going to pay the price so that they can have peace. I'm going to pay the price for their sins so that they can have me. So that one day when I come back, I'm going to take them and I'm going to take them to heaven. I'm going to wipe away all the tears and I'm going to give them a life that they never, ever dreamed of. That's why you went to Calvary, so that you can save us and give us that kind of life. And I praise God for these two ladies that made that decision today. May you be with them. May you encourage them. And may you direct them so that they can truly walk with you. And those in this room, Lord Jesus, who who know you as Lord and Savior... I truly pray, Lord Jesus, that something happened today, something transpired today, that each of us would look at our circumstances, look at who we are, look at how we think about things and analyze things and perceive things around us and in our world, and that our focus is only on serving you and loving you and being an example so that the world sees a distinction that we are Christians and that our lives are different and that the world gets blessed by that and gets drawn to our Savior because of our lives. May discouragement never reach our lips. May our love for you and our adoration for you and our commitment to serve you be at the forefront of our lives. And we love you, Lord Jesus, and we thank you in your name. Amen.